You're listening to the Diary of Louise Tomorrow, Chapter 1. Here, let's put on a nice record and I'll tell you the whole story of the time that I loved you. We will, the two of us, look at the whole thing up close. You will be overwhelmed by a sense of relief. The whole thing is over. And I can't lie, it feels good to free you. It feels good to see you flying out of my heart again and again. My hair is wet. It's been raining all day. My bones feel chilled and fragile as glacier skin. I want to tell you about the Shangri-La, the tasting menu, the kind waiter who used to work in Vegas, and the drunk old woman dancing in front of the piano. But none of that matters right now, because I'm empty. Exactly the way you'd expect someone like me to be empty. There are easy transactions, and then there are the difficult ones. The easy ones are invisible as molecules. The difficult ones leave something for you and something for them. My thighs are burning and raked by fingernails. Somewhere in this city, a man's fingernails are caked with my blood, which he may or may not notice when he brushes his teeth or kneels down to pray. Long hot showers help, but not tonight. The dog's asleep. He's the only pure thing left of my life. Yesterday, Marcel offered me a room in his apartment. Rent would be impossibly cheap. For you, only $300 a month. For you, the stray who loves me, whom I've bought, whose throat I've held in my hands, whose heart I've crushed and crushed and crushed. For you, only $300. I want to accept because I'm drowning in this city. The work is killing me, really killing me. I barely recognize my own body, and when I look in the mirror, all I see is the sunken face of some terrible ghost. My dreams. It will give you time to write, he told me. If I lived in Marcel's apartment, time wouldn't be the problem. At least, time moving wouldn't be the problem. Living at Marcel's, surrounded by his things, his smells, his lovers, would be like dying at Pompeii. Within seconds, there'd be nothing left of me but ash. I first laid eyes on Marcel when he was standing in our high school hallway, waiting to be castigated by the principal for acting out in French class. When I walked by, I heard Marcel informing a flustered secretary that he would be leaving school for the day. She tried to stop him, but he walked straight out the doors, waving for me, a total stranger to follow him. At that moment, it was like, God woke up inside of me and beckoned. I knew then and there that I'd love Marcel forever and that I'd follow him anywhere. I knew that I would die for him and that it would come to that. A decade passed, Marcel and I grew up. 
We indulged each other's young romantic ideas about death and love. We took ketamine and walked along the Bloor Street viaduct. Long before they put up the nets that stopped jumpers and drunkards and stumbling children on clandestine walks. When we were 17, Marcel's best friend Teddy died of cancer. Marcel brought home his fentanyl and his morphine and his tramadol. And we built a fire in the ravine that slept behind the highway. And Marcel filled two syringes. I looked into his face, which was soft and shattered in the flickering firelight. There wasn't a single cell of me that was afraid of the needle delivering a dead boy's drugs. Because Marcel needed me, not only to witness his pain, but to have it inside of me too. I rolled up my sleeve and Marcel spiked my arm and then his own. And God knows how long we lay by the fire that night. Soon after, Marcel joined the army. He cut off his long, blonde hair. His wiry body transformed into a living fortress. Then they sent him to Kandahar. <laughs> I wanted to beg him not to go. But nobody, least of all me, could ever beg Marcel for anything. While he was away, Marcel and I wrote letters by mail. He signed his, yours, Marcel. I would hold those two words against my heart and imagine that he really meant them. In the last letter he sent before he came home, Marcel wrote, you'll never know how much I treasure our friendship. And then he returned and both of us were changed forever. I still think of the first time I saw Marcel in that high school hallway, how he stood young and defiant, how I shook a light with the very first certainty of my life, like the moment a child learns, really learns that they're going to die. After that, they spend the rest of their lives shivering at the inevitable. So it has been for me and Marcel. To get more content from Louise's diary, visit Instagram at Louise Tomorrow. Diaries read by Madeline Sims Fewer. Edited by Dan Sacco. Music by Jack Carlyle. Produced with the support of the Canada Council for the Arts.